Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. Welcome to the Luck on Sunday podcast, a weekly audio digest of all the best bits of Luck on Sunday, free to air every Sunday from nine o'clock that brings you the best guests and insight from around the racing world. So much to get through this week. Uh, racing Post senior writer Lee Mottishead is alongside to help me. Yeah. We've had eyes in all sorts of different places, haven't we? We have. This is Luck on Sunday. Luck on Saturday evening was in Saudi Arabia. Mm. Uh, I've come back from Melbourne this week. We've been around a bit. Uh, you've come back from Melbourne because you were Asian Racing Conferencing. So that was, what, 10 days ago or so? Asian Racing the, Conference. The famous Julie Harrington speech that you were, you were writing about. Yeah, although, to be fair, a lot of what Julie said was actually out of the conference one-to-one. Um, she spoke about the, uh, this now infamous uh, Great British Racing mm-hmm. survey of people who are interested in racing and not interested in racing. But then out of the conference, uh, she spoke about the Cheltenham Festival and her fear, well, not fear, her, her belief that it should go off OK. Um, what I would say as well is that whole subject about the whip and the social licence and how does racing connect with Gen Z was a feature throughout the three days of the Asian Racing Conference. So it, wasn't, was, it wasn't just Julie Harrington that was no, majoring on this? No, and it very much wasn't the case that, 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 that Julie Harrington was desperate to get this off her chest. It was a theme throughout the three days of the concert, and the whip subject was something that the moderator of the conference, former BBC man David Eads, had raised with her. I think it would be wrong to say that Julie Harrington went to Melbourne desperate to talk about British racing's relationship with the whip. So I've just been gaslit by you, basically. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we we are joking, but we shouldn't, because this has taken quite a serious turn this week, which we'll be talking about a little bit bit later in the programme. How much pressure, though, do you think that Julie feels personally as the figurehead of this body? I think inevitably she does. Um, And I think however much we don't necessarily always want to talk about the whip it is something that is connecting all the major racing nations you know, i think sometimes there's a a view within within british racing or among british racing fans and participants that it's only us who are talking about it that really isn't the case no. you know I, i've just come back from australia it's a huge issue there in victoria they had their first jockey dis- yeah. j- jockey disqualification uh, over the whip they've had their own Um, soul-searching about the relationship with the whip. We know what's going on in France and elsewhere. It's a big issue here, but it's not just here. Mm. And it's not just the issue of a guy holding a piece of compressed foam or a girl holding a piece of compressed foam. It's an issue that is just the tip of a a large iceberg. It is, yeah. I thought one of the most interesting um, parts of the conference came on day two when Chris Waller flew in from Sydney and he was interviewed on the stage for, for a good half hour and as Chris Waller always is, he was absolutely absorbing, really interesting to listen to and he got on to talking about the social licence and I thought what was interesting there was he was maybe a few steps in front of where most participants are now. He spoke about how his training colleague uh, Ed Cummings had said to him, look, it, what's happening in the world out there is different to how we are within the, within the racing bubble. And Chris went on to say that um, at some point his daughter will ask him, Dad, why did that horse that we sent to races not come home? And why did that horse get hit by the whip in races? And Chris made the point that he should be able to explain to his daughter why that was the case. But for the daughters of most parents, the sons of most parents, it won't be nearly so easy. And he was very much on board with this idea that racing has to be seen to be socially acceptable. And for that reason, racing might have to make, in inverted commas, concessions that it might not necessarily want to do. Now, I don't necessarily think that sort of perspective is embraced by too many 
participants over here. And I'm not saying that's a right or a wrong thing, but in time, mm. in time, I think it probably will have to. Yeah, and the participants' voice at the moment is, is, a, is a very loud voice, understandably. So we'll be joined by Daryl Jacob a little bit later in the programme. Also Sarah Guest, who works for John O'Shea, who has won the Thoroughbred Industry Employee Awards overall prize um, at the Godolphin Awards on Monday, which was a, a wonderful and extraordinarily heartwarming evening, as often it is. But uh, the racing world, all the nations converged last night on Riyadh in Saudi Arabia for the world's most valuable horse race. And really tying into what Lee was just saying, it was, it was victory for the East and, and Japan, the most rampaging, buccaneering, uh, dominant international force. Since Yishtu Yahagi won the uh, two races at the, the Breeders' Cup two years ago, Japan have had four winners at Saudi Cup night last year, five in the Dubai World Cup. They didn't take many runners to, to the Breeders' Cup last time round, but here they were, and they went one, three, four, five, six in the in the Saudi Cup. Pantalassa last year's Dubai Turf Dead Heater winning on dirt, and he's a turf horse for goodness' yeah, sake. And Yahag is a Cox Plate winning trainer as well. He's 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 doing it everywhere, and this, as you say, maintained the theme of Saudi Cup night last year. Um, it was a super performance from horse and from jockey. Uh, country grammar, you could argue, not necessarily unlucky but he got going too late to finish second uh, for the second year in a row but it was again all about Japan well Japan were winning pretty much all the way through the night not just Pantalassa but also Bathrat Leon and Silver Sonic let's look at those two other uh, Japanese winners uh, shall we Bathrat Leon you'll remember him he runs in the same colors for the same trainer he was the horse who led Baid into the final furlong of the of the Sussex Stakes last year and had won the, the Godolphin Mile in, in Dubai. Everyone thought it was a fluke, but he's just gone from strength to strength. He won the, the sprint, the turf sprint. Yeah, and he, he didn't run a bad race at Goodwood last year either, in, in relative terms. Um, but yeah, no, fantastic performance from him. Uh, similar tactics to those that we saw executed uh, with aplomb in the Godolphin Mile. Um, and again, he, he just... The fact that he has travelled so far, so regularly, Dubai, Britain, uh, here in Saudi, just underlines and symbolises this bold Japanese approach that they've got to, to global racing at the moment. Um, they will go pretty much anywhere to advertise the, the power of Japanese racing at the moment. It's interesting, when I was there four years ago now, there was actually some concern within the JRA the Japan Racing Association, because they felt at that point that Japan had already advertised itself mm. on the global racing stage, and they were fearful that a few too many horses were racing an international contest that they actually would have preferred to be racing back mm. home. But the genie is very much out of the bottle. These horses are going all around the world. They're winning all around the world. And I don't think, Nick, in, in many ways it's... It's too bold a statement to say that Japan now is the premier force uh, the other in international point, racing. It's a point that's been picked up on by plenty of people on social media over the last uh, 12, 15 hours. Is that they, you know, we've, we've laboured this point, but it's worth mentioning again. They are breeding proper horses with, with genuine stamina. And it was the case in the staying race. Again, Silver Sonic yesterday, by Orfevre, out of a Tony yeah. Bin mare, two horses who've you know, applied their trade in the arc. And here you've got a horse who is running against the very best in Japan, but they're prepared to run their very best over two miles. And it, he was getting a stone odd from subjectivists, yeah. which, was a, which was ridiculous, really. Yeah. They get everything right. As you say there, they, they breed the best to the best. That partly stems from the fact that for... A number of years now, they worked hard to get extremely strong uh, female bloodlines into the breed over there. They understand what is, what is important and what isn't. And by that I mean they're not breeding and buying uh, cheap speed. They're not looking to get a quick return. They embrace uh, middle distance and long distance racing. They understand that you need to have co concentrated quality at the top. They don't have a massive group on races. I think it's about 24, 25 group on races across the calendar. If you are a top mile horse, a top six furlong horse, top mile and a half horse, you have very few opportunities at group one level, which means that you have a concentration of quality. And also, crucially, Nick, they keep their horses in training. The, the idea of a top three-year-old 
being retired to stud as a three-year-old is almost an anathema in Japan, let alone the crazy idea of retaining a two-year-old uh, to make a quick bucket stud. They know that horse racing is about racing horses, and from that, you yeah. will get the best bloodstock industry as well. Uh, and, and some sublime performances yesterday, training, riding, uh, and the horses winning from seven furlongs right the way up to two miles, and, of course, dominating the, the Saudi Cup on dirt as well. Now, Hiro Goda is our friend from the Green Channel, was with me uh, in Saudi Arabia last night and joins me on the line now. This is a, this is a big night again for, for Japanese racing now, Hiro. But did the success of Panthalassa surprise even you? Yes, you know, it was a kind of the pleasant surprise for myself, you know, that I knew that Panthalassa is a very speed, tough horse, but uh, I was not sure if, you know, Panthalassa can, could handle the dirt track at King Abdulaziz. So, you know, it was, you know, <laughs> kind of the pleasant surprise. Now, you know, all, everybody in Japan is so much excited to watch witness the first Saudi Cup winner from Japan. Um, now, Hiro, there were six different trainers represented with the six horses in the in the Saudi Cup, which in itself goes to show why Japan racing is in such healthy and robust state. What is it about Yoshito Yahagi, who also trains Bathurat Leon? What is it that makes him so good? Well, you know, <laughs> Yoshito Yahagi. Well, when he got the trainer's license at the Japan Racing Association about 25 years ago, uh, he said he told to JRA, uh, he made, you know, he told to the public that my ambition, my goal is to win the Arc de Triomphe. Let's say 25 years ago, he was only young Japanese trainer who mentioned about international races. So Yahagi has been having the international mind from day one and try to achieve this, you know, uh, you know, achievement for many, many years. So I think, you know, he has been trying very, very hard for 20 years. Now, you know, he is now one of the top, top international trainers and he's very close to his ultimate goal now. How many of the winners last night from Japan do you think will will travel on now to Dubai? Well, I think, you know, uh, all of them, you know, of course, you know, Pansalassa is going to take a flight from Saudi to Dubai on Monday. But uh, I don't know yet if he goes to try to repeat, you know, the Dubai tough or he will try to uh, Dubai World Cup. I don't know which, you know, owner and trainer will discuss maybe in uh, tomorrow and to that, the day after tomorrow. And uh, Silver Sonic, yes, he goes to Dubai for, you know, Gold Cup. And Bathla Leon, he goes to Dubai for Godolphin Mile. And the hero, we ought to pay tribute to Yuichi Fukunaga, who had his last ride yesterday on, on Remake. 46 years old, he's had a great career. Yeah, yeah, Yuichi is one of the you know, best Japanese jockeys you know, we have ever seen. And he has a, such nice character. And he's a handsome boy. And he is always you know, very, very good to media members. You know, he is very good to talk to the camera. Uh, you know, Yuichi has decided to quit riding and become a trainer. Um, everybody expects him a lot as a you know, future, future international trainer. I think you know, Yuichi will be you know, trainer like Yehagi, you know, who, you, because Yuichi is also, you know, very much international mind. I understand his, his, you know, ultimate goal is to win international race like a Saudi Cup or Arc de Triomphe. Now, Hiro, thanks for your time this morning. My pleasure. Big day on Friday in, in Riyadh. It was the International Jockeys Challenge, uh, bringing forward uh, the very best uh, men and women from, from around the world. And after a couple of legs, there was an intriguing tie at the head of the table between Louis Sayers, uh, Kentucky Derby winning rider, uh, Saudi Cup winning rider, and Joe Mason, who was flying the flag for, for Great Britain. And Joe, Joe joins me on, on the line now. Joe, morning. Morning, how are you? Good, thanks. How did you enjoy the, the experience of, uh, of riding in, in Riyadh? Yeah, it was a brilliant experience, you know, to be asked to ride out there as part of the Jockey Challenge was an honour in itself. And I think if you told me I'd have had a winner a second and, and come third in the championship there, 
um, had a snappy hand off. So, um, yeah, no, it was a brilliant experience and, you know, honoured to be asked. And you, you won on the dirt as well, which is a, another feather in your cap. Um, just talk me through the ride. It, it, looked, it looked all pretty plain sailing. Yes, it was. Um, I spoke to the trainer actually the night before, and um, obviously I've not really ridden much on the dirt, being um, obviously we don't really have it over in England. And, you know, he said, just keep it simple. You know, you're drawn well. Jump forward. He likes it from the front. He doesn't like kick back. And um, you know, keep it simple. He's all speed, and, ju and just keep kicking when you get to 600. So, um, you know, he won quite nicely. I felt like he was idling a little bit in front, but um, as the horse came to me, he found a bit, a bit of extra, extra go and changed his leg and went again. It's been an amazing couple of years for you. The, the ascent has been a been a pretty rapid one, but obviously we know that you had an incredibly, incredibly solid grounding. How did it feel to be there in that kind of cauldron of elite international riders? Yeah, again, like I said, honoured to be asked, asked um, to be uh, up against all of the, the boys and girls who have ridden. I, I mean, winners for all of them would be in the thousands. Um, so, again, like I say, honoured honored to be riding with a lot of champions there, really. And, and a lovely, lovely springboard for you for the, for the remainder of the season. What have you got planned for the, for the next couple of months? Um, obviously, no, no more abroad trips. Obviously, that's um, you know. Obviously, in the future, hopefully, I can you know get some more chances to ride abroad, whether it be you know in the Middle East or you know obviously it'd be amazing. Japan and Hong Kong, they've you know got the best racing going. Um, but you know, the next couple of weeks and, and months really is you know obviously the turf season coming. Um, you know, keep my head down and busy, and you know, hopefully, I can better better last year really. But in, in the short term, really, back to Wolverhampton on Monday, uh, feet <laughs> firmly back on the ground. <laughs> who would who would you say will be providing you with your your, your biggest chunk of uh, of rides this year? I know Chris Dixon, our, our good friend and colleague, is is looking after your your rides now. He is, yes. Obviously, sadly, um, you know, now I've had to take a step back. Um, you know, he's been very good to me, and you know, Chris Dixon has taken me on. So hopefully, you know, we can hit the ground running and, and do that. You know, obviously, my granddad and my uncle are, are very good to me, really. I'm in there most days riding out, and we've got a, a good book of horses, really. So, you know, they would be my main chunk of horses. But I do get a lot of outside rides, um, again, from some small trainers around us, and, and obviously very grateful for that. Joe, thanks so much for talking to me. Uh, many congratulations in Saudi. No worries. Thank you very much. There are doubts about him on the ground. We have our answer now. As the Merseyside marvel, Bristol Bay, remains unbeaten at Haydock. And it's back-to-back -back wins in the Betfair chase as Jacob punches the air. Remains unbeaten at Haydock, and it's back-to-back -back wins in the Betfair chase as Jacob punches the air. They've got a half a furlong to cover, and it's Bristol today. Flanders Obo trying hard, but he isn't getting any closer. And it's the silver-coated king of Haydock, Bristol today, who regains his Betfair crowd. Well, a multiple grade one performer, multiple grade one winner, and of course his three brilliant Betfair chases, the highlights of his career. He was a great favourite, front-running grey for most of his career. Daryl Jacob steered him to nearly all his successes and joins us in the studio now to talk about him and much more. But he's a great place to start, Daryl, isn't he, Bristol May? Because if we've just been talking about the the riches and the, the lustre of all the money in the desert, this is the sort of horse that, that chiselled his way into people's hearts over a long time. Do you know, he had he had some following um, and obviously the picture that I put up on Twitter was quite emotional saying goodbye to him. I had a, I had a good old cry when I went into the to the weigh room um, and Gavin was sitting beside me and he said, are you all right? And I said, yeah, I said, just uh, one of those days. But, um, you know, he was one of the horses that, you know, wherever I went and, you know, whenever I went to the race courses and stuff like that, people always asked, how's Bristol? Is he OK? And, you know, he had a huge, huge following. He's... He's probably been one of the most talked about horses. You know, I've been very, very lucky. I've had so many big winners, England, Ireland and France. But, you know, he's the one that caught the, the public's um, imagination. And uh, 
he was an absolute joy to ride. He was with me from the start of my journey with Simon and Isaac and, and Anthony and you know, just to have them the longevity that he had and the friendship, you know, I love all the horses that I ride for Simon and Isaac and uh you know, they're they're like my best friends. We go out to play together, we enjoy the moments, uh the good moments and uh you know, it's got very sad to see him. Um, I'm delighted to see him going at one piece, but it's uh, it's sad too. I, I'd forgotten he was he was the owner's first Grade One winner, I think, wasn't he? Back in even before your time, I think, in the in the Chepstow four-year-old the, the finale, finale, yeah, yeah, the four-year-old um, big day was his first run for us. We got him from from uh, Macares in France, and uh, you know he was. I mean, he just ran away with me that day. I mean, I'd oh, you were go- on him that day. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I won on him the the, the four year old, yeah, yeah. The, at uh, Chepstow or the you know the finale, whatever. And uh, he literally just ran away with me. But then, but we knew from then he was he was quite special. December two thousand and fourteen. Was it that long ago? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Time flies when you're having fun. Yeah, and I mean, it, and I guess also a sort of pivotal sort of sliding doors moment in your career, wasn't it? Because it was the the out of the nickels job into the Manier Swed job. And bang, you needed a couple of good ones to kick you off. Yeah, I mean, like you're saying, he's been with me pretty much from the, from the start of that journey. Um, and like you say, it just got hugely attached to him. But, you know, it's just like you say, everyone at Nigel's, um, you know, the public and just, he was just a phenomenal horse and he was an incredible horse to ride. He had so much power, Nick. I, I, pr- I promise you, when he went down there on heavy ground and what made him so good is, you know, the heavier the ground, he went through heavy ground like as if it was good ground. Mm-hmm. You know, when horses struggle to go through the depths of the muck, he just floated across it. So you say he had so much power. So we often try and work out why horses can handle various sets of conditions, but you talk about his power. Um, is that what it was? He could just muscle his way through it better yeah, than the others? The, the boss, I'm obviously a bit old school, and, and the boss, Robert Allner, you know, he always liked horses to have a really strong you know, hind quarters, because that's where the impulsion comes, that's where the power, that's where the engine, you know, kicks off to get him from A to B, and, and he had that in abundance, even as a as a three-year-old, four-year-old, you know, he attacked as he went four-year-old chasing, he won the Silly Isles as a four-year-old over fences. He always had that power just to float through the air when he'd go, and like you say, when, that's when he was so good, as in he could stand off a fence when it was very, very heavy ground because he could get from A to B, you know, whereas other horses, good ground horses, other horses would struggle that and they'd just get in and pop and they'd make more economic mm-hmm. from A to B, whereas he could he could go down and he could tack them. 30-odd grade ones you've ridden, haven't you now? Yeah, it's a few now, yeah. yeah. A few. You like that, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> Not as good as Nick on mine. Not as good as Nick. Oh, no, he tells us I'm that still, as well. Yeah, don't worry Nick, about that. Nick likes gloating about that. He but you're, I think you're the top two in the British weighing room, aren't you now? Well, I've been around a long time now, Nick, haven't I? <laughs> Well, I didn't want to say, um, but I was thinking, of course, the the, the great grey that gave you some of the first grade ones was the listener, wasn't it? He was a horse who, yeah, big, powerful, grey, stare. That was a typical the boss. That was a typical Robert and Sally horse. They loved producing them type of horses. And again, he was the very same as mm. uh, as Bristol, to be fair. The heavier ground, the better he was. I mean, whenever he went over to Leperstown, back then, obviously, it was, wasn't... You know, when you come to Leperstown, Christmas time and stuff of that, February time, it was always very, very heavy. Obviously, to put the new drainage systems and all that in now, so you don't get that sort of extreme ground. But again, he was another horse that just used to float across heavy ground. And you're about the only uh, Irishman based in Britain that can go home and still ride Grade One winners. Yeah, do you know, I've been very, very lucky this year. I've had a, I've had a great year, um, and I'm really, really enjoying it. It's a lot of travelling. Every Monday is air. Um, you know the weekends Ireland during the week is Ireland, but you know what? I love it. Um, you know Simon and Isaac they put and Anthony they put a lot of trust in me um, and what we're doing and what we're trying to achieve. And uh, you know we've had some wonderful um, rewards this year. Kempton yesterday, um, you were aboard Joseph O'Brien's Nuzret for Simon and Isaac, and you won the four-year-old hurdle, the the Adonis hurdle. Where does he stack up? Do you think where's his career going? He's a really nice horse. I've, funny enough, we go back quite a while and uh, a few years before he even thought about jumping. And I, I rode him up the gallops when, um, as a two-year-old. And um, I thought going up the gallops, I was thinking, well, this could be a really nice jumper. And I said it to them at the time and uh, 
they were hoping that he was going to be a very, very good flat horse. But he always had, again, he's got a lot of power. He's a good jumper here. See there, two out. First time seeing, you know, racing in the white hurdles as well. But, you know, watch him coming down to the last here. He's, he, he's got a lovely way about going. He's got a nice bit of speed. Um, you know, and he's, he's got a great attitude. Would you have won anyway if Perseus Way hadn't made that mistake? Yeah, um, I, yeah, I would have. I was starting to, to, to you know, get ahead of steam, and I, I, I thought I had, yeah, going down to last, I thought I had um, Jamie beaten, where Jamie was very, very good. He actually got four lengths on me going to the second last and after that, and that's actually when Jamie nearly, nearly stole the race so away you, from if me. if you'd been beaten, so, would you have been beating yourself up? Well, no, because he's a horse, like, even when he got to the front here, he sort of pricked his ears, you know, and he wasn't doing a whole lot. Where I kind of, my plan was all along was to try and sit in behind him, going from two out to the last to get him covered and then pull him out and then produce him going to. But the way the race unfolded with the faller, uh, three out, it sort of opened up a gap and then Paddy wasn't really going well enough down the inside. Harry Copton was getting a nice um, seam through from, from the faller and Jamie was down the inner, Jamie went, tried to steal a race from the front, which was a great ride from him, fantastic ride for him, but what I had to try and do is I had to play my cards, but then I ended up obviously coming around Harry, mm. and I had basically, I had too much daylight from the second last to the last to the line, so my horse probably, I probably could have done been covered up a little bit longer. So could that horse you rode there, could Nuzret be competitive in a better race, or could be competitive in a Boodles, or... Could he even be an outsider for the Triumph Hurdle? Well, he's, he's not in the Triumph Is Hurdle. He not in the no, triumph? he's not in no. the Triumph Hurdle. He has obviously. He's still got the, the Boodles entry. Um, but you don't fancy him. What? Do you know what? I think he looks kind of pro. I think there's. I think there's bigger and better targets later on in the, in, in the year. To be honest with you, um, I've always liked him. He's always had a great attitude. I think Joseph's done very, very well with him, and I think just. Coming over with the race that he had yesterday, coming over, going back, and then coming back again for Cheltenham, you know, maybe, maybe, I don't know, it might be a step too far, but look, it just, there's loads more spring targets for the rest of the, you know, for the rest of the springs, lots of festivals, he likes good ground, he prefers going right-handed rather than left, but I'm not saying that he can't go left-handed, but I think if you were being choosy, he would prefer to go right-handed rather than left, a bit like a footballer, isn't he? You know, he's right-footed rather than left-footed. But there's plenty of... I think there's plenty... Ferios have got a great juvenile there as well coming up. and So I think there's there's other targets that... I wouldn't be too disappointed if he didn't yeah. go to Cheltenham, put it that way. Yeah, and you won that four-year-old grade one at Punchestown with Fuzzy Raffles. Raffles, yeah. Mm. What a legend he is. Yeah. I worked um, actually during the weekend. Uh, you like that? You, you really do love these horses that yeah, you've been I, around, I, the, around the block with. Sarah, Sarah who, who rides them out and looks after Fusils, um, she gives me a lot of stick because um, I just go there and I play with him, mess with his ears, and he gets really annoyed with me <laughs> and stuff like that. But uh, look, they're, they're friends, aren't they? they you know, you've got to treat them as, as your best friends. You go out there, you go out, you, know, you, spend, you spend a lot of time with them, you go in there, ride them out, you work them, you school them, and you know, it's a great bond. And I guess that's the advantage of a job like yours, is that you get to know the horses so well because you're riding them at home, you're going around all the different stables, you're putting the feedback in. It must be, it must be a, a, a very rewarding and fulfilling job as, as jockey's roles go. It's a dream job. I can, I can honestly say I think I'm one of the luckiest lads in the way room. I think I've got probably one of the best jobs in, in racing. And I'm, uh, I'm guessing it's not one that you want to... You want to forfeit anytime, anytime soon. You're not. Oh, you're hopefully, not thinking, there's not. You're not thinking <laughs> beyond yet. Are you? We having all these, re all these retirements at the moment. You're no, I'm uh, no, definitely not. Not at the moment. No, like you say, I'm, I'm very, very lucky, Nick. I'm, in, I'm you know, I'm really enjoying it. And uh, you know, like you say, my my Irish angle is just for me. It's just the icing on the cake at the moment. Who were the? Who did you start with? In, I'm just trying to think. Who you, who do you start with in the in the British weighing room? Who came in around about the same time as you? Uh, well, obviously Nico's. It was around Tom O'Brien. To be fair, I've started down the bottom, and um, I'm very, very close to the exit door now. Mm. So there's a lot of uh, young pups coming through, snapping at our heels. But um, Sam Thomas must have been about Sammy. Yeah, Sammy. He was around. Yeah, oh, beautiful rider, isn't he? He won the big race yesterday. But God, what a talent he is! He was as a, as a rider. He was. He was poetry in motion. He was because he he doesn't often get. Those sort of plaudits for his for his riding career, does he? You look, look back now. He does, it's it's nice to hear you say that. What 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 makes you what makes you so admiring of his of his 
abilities as a in the saddle? His skill. He had just so much balance. His skill. Horses. I mean, he came from Venetia's, didn't he? And mm. she's a bit like Charlie Deutsch. Beautiful, beautiful horseman. Um, you know, the, you watch Deutsch ride, and you, you just watch them horses jump from. They just, they just want to jump from. Sam was the very same. He could get, he could get a novice hurdler, a novice chaser to go around a bad jumper, and he could get them to go around like jumping like cats. He was brilliant to watch. And it, it, it's a, it's a nice take, isn't it, Lee? Because yeah. it, it's, it's perhaps something that's sort of slightly lost in the mist of time, really. Yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, Sam. Um, held that what historically has been a very difficult job, as, as Daryl knows. If you're, if you're if you're running as number two to, to Paul Nichols, generally that was behind Ruby Walsh. That was a really hard position. If you're if you're right for Paul Full Stop, it's difficult because it's it's so competitive, um, very demanding owners, and there is an expectation to succeed. And we know how Sam's journey went at one point with. Um, that period when he when he lost the ride after um, the the big bucks fall in the in the Hennessy, but that can happen to any jockey. Every, every jockey will have good periods and bad periods. I fell off a lot of them. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> it, happens, it happens to every jockey. But ultimately, I think when you think of Sam Thomas, you think of Denman, mm. and you think of that amazing Gold Cup, um, that first amazing Hennessy as well, and. What what a story that was to tell. I'll tell you what, it's like an episode of This Is Your Life, because here he is on the line now. <laughs> Morning, Sam. Morning, Nick. How are you? Sammy, oh, I'm I very hope well. you're going to give me a ride for this. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I don't, <laughs> have, you been, have you been listening to this, this pean of praise from Daryl Jacob to your, about your riding skills? Uh, I haven't, to be honest. Only the last few, uh, the last sort of minute, which, uh, yeah. It's always a bit cringe when you hear people say nice things about you, so I'm glad I didn't hear anymore. Oh, my God, it was way worse before then. We've not gotten on here to talk about your, uh, as Daryl Jacob described it, as your beautiful balance as a rider. We've got you here to, to talk about your victory as a trainer yesterday in the Coral Trophy with, uh, with our power. I mean, am I right in thinking, Sam, that the horses really now are starting to find their stride after a bit of a mid-season dip? Uh, I'd like to think so, Nick. Yeah, I mean, um, we've been very quiet, really, and um, just horses haven't quite been right. And um, you know, I know, I know a lot of yards go through through this, but um, yeah, certainly we, we had a frustrating time. Horses were getting sick, and um, no rhyme or reason to it, really, other than just uh, sort of you know the usual sort of uh, bugs that go around. But uh, I'd like to think that hopefully we're on the, on the tail end of everything, and the weather, I suppose, although it's not wet, is certainly helping. Just uh, just just to help get the horses healthy, you know. Uh, and it, this horse was tested yesterday, genuinely tested. When when he came down to the last, did you think he'd go by? I thought when we turned in, Nick, actually, when he got amongst horses, that we'd be in with a big shout, obviously. Harry's horse uh, was setting sail, you know, early on, and that probably actually helped us dig a nice marker to aim for. And he's such a little dude of a horse, he just doesn't know how to, you know, how to not try. He's, a, he's the most genuine little horse who pushed the train, so... I think if you get him in amongst horses and get him in a scrap, he's, he's always going to, you know, try and come out on top. And, and is he the sort of horse that could could use this to, to to push his career further still? Yeah, I don't see why not, Nick. And like I say, he, he's never one that's going to be too exuberant. Um, you know, even when he won the Ascot the last day, that, that, that's sort of the, what you'll probably see in, in, his, in his races to come. I don't think he's ever going to be one that gets to the front and wins well. So I think the, the, the sort of the better the race providing he's, he's still, you know, got a bit up his sleeve in the handicap. There's no reason why he can't just uh, keep keep going that way. And also, like, you know, we, we, we had him lined up for, for, for the, the Ladbroke Trophy after he won first time out, and we had a setback, and he was the most unbelievable form then. So, we, basically, yesterday was like, you know, like first time out again for him, so he will improve for, for the run, no doubt. So, where do you bash on to now? Well, providing he's OK, Nick, he's OK this morning, thank God. But um, I, I guess the ultimate is the obvious one. Um he, he he ran well there last year, and um, you know we know he stays very well. He can handle the the, the, the track and the testing sort of uh, undulation, so that's good. And then obviously after that we've you know got the bet three six five potentially. Um, you know I, I, I missed the national there. Obviously he has a national entry, but of sixty two, which I think uh, is, is pretty unlikely that we'll, we'll get in. But that would be the dream, I guess, uh, after Cheltenham would be the national. But if he doesn't get in, then the bet three six five or, or potentially the Scottish national. But you just—I mean, the national such a, a sort of opaque picture at the moment. It's not completely impossible, is it? Well, no. I mean, um, like it doesn't help obviously when trainers having so many runners in the race. But that's another another subject, I guess. But um, 
No, you know, it's not out of the realms of possibility for sure, but um, we certainly need a lot of a lot of luck to get it. That's for sure. Well, I mean, you you brought it up. Would you would you cap the number of entries a trainer could have in a Grand National? Well, Nick, I, I'm sure if I was in, in, in the same position as, as those you know big trainers, I, I, I'd love to throw as many uh, eggs in the basket as I could really for for what is the the biggest steeplechase in the world. So I mean, it's difficult for me to say this as a small trainer, but certainly to allow you know a lot of a lot more horses to you know run for different trainers. Certainly, I, I think it, you know, it'd be fairly reasonable to, to suggest a small cap. I don't see why not. Anyway, um, Sam, I. I've been talking to you all season about I will do it and what you're going to do with him and the, the, the head scratcher that's given you not being qualified for the Grand National and then the ground being quick. What options have you got left? So the next target will be the Midlands National, so the Saturday after Cheltenham, I think. Mm-hmm. Notoriously soft ground there, you know, but we do obviously need a lot of luck in, in, in terms of the weather there. So, yeah, I think that's our next target, Mitch, really. Um, yeah, he, he obviously doesn't owe us anything. He's been a superstar and... Um, Providing we can get him get him to that race in in, in, in good he- good health and good shape, that he should go very well. And after that, we'll have to just make a decision after that, you know. Well, it's been a dramatic week as regards the whip. Uh, this was the first week where suspensions were revealed after the after the new rules had been fully embedded. Uh, the headline was the first disqualification. And that was a horse who was actually runner-up um, in uh, Lunar Discovery in a race at uh, Air, in a bumper at Air. And Charlotte Jones was found to have um, given that horse 11 smacks, which is four times over, which is an automatic disqualification under the, the revised rules. Lorcan Williams got the biggest ban. Uh, that's because he was riding a horse in a Class 1 race at Haydock, which meant a, a double penalty. Plus, uh, he, he got done four more days for above shoulder height, so it was 14 plus four. So he's the highest profile Cheltenham missing jockey in this race. Charlotte Jones riding a horse who was the first uh, disqualified horse for a whip offence in this country, though it has happened elsewhere in the world. And you can see the rest of the suspensions handed back down by the review committee. I mean, the most obvious point there relative to what we were talking about before this week is that that very specific definition of above shoulder height that we were talking about with Tom Scudamore last week. There seems to have been a little bit of common ground and common sense applied there. There wasn't some great raft of bands for that 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 had been been anticipated. But nonetheless, uh, some uh, extremely significant milestones over the last few days. David Jones is a BHA board member. He was the chair of the Whip Consultation Steering Group and he's still very uh, heavily involved in this process. This is what he said. The changes to the Whip rules implemented last week were the result of an exhaustive consultation. The new rules are based on recommendations which were put to the BHA board by a steering group which consisted of expertise from across the racing industry. They were unanimous in agreement that changes must be made to ensure more judicious use of the Whip for encouragement and improve the perception of Whip use. Right. Brant Dunshay, the chief regulatory officer for the BHA, was a, a little more uh, brisk in his uh, statement. Jockeys have had more than four weeks to adapt to the new rules through the betting-in period. As the jockeys themselves have stated, it is now up to them to ensure that they ride within the new rules. And on the disqualification, he said it's been introduced as the ultimate deterrent for overuse of the whip. There's no excuse for using the whip four or more times above the permitted level. It was always likely that the disqualification rule would need to be invoked in the early stages of the implementation of the new rules. We hope this sends a clear message to all jockeys and reinforces this deterrent effect. And finally, directly on Lorcan Williams, uh, Brant Dunshay says the whip has been used not only above the permitted level, but also from above shoulder height on multiple occasions. This is a breach of the rules in most racing jurisdictions. All right. So we have, as many other media outlets have over the course of the weekend, asked the British Horse Racing Authority to um, provide uh, either uh, Julie Harrington or Brant Dunshay or David Jones or whomever from the organisation to come and talk on the programme. They have declined to do so this week, though it may be that uh, they... They will opt to do so next week. Uh, Lee Motta said, Senior Writer Racing Post, still with me here on the sofa, together with senior rider Daryl Jacob. Now, now Daryl, I'm of the understanding that, that you're done with this subject now, that you're, you're, yeah. you're, you're pretty much up to, up to capacity. Um, I'm angry about it. Um, I, was, I wasn't really consulted at the, at the start of it. Um, few at the very start of it? At the very start, a few of the senior riders weren't really weren't really asked for any sort of an input. 
it was only when the sort of it was starting to flare up that we got um, our opinion. And to be honest with you, by then I was like, do you know what? I wasn't involved in so I've got, you know, I've got no interest. And to be honest with you, I'm angry and I'm just bored of it. The whole thing now. It's you know us jockeys in there. We're trying our best. There's a lot of lads I've noticed over the last six weeks, month, whatever it is. They are trying very, very hard to 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 to, to adapt to the new rules, and especially with the shoulder height and stuff like that. And do you know what? Every day it's the conversation, it's the topic at the in, in the weigh room. And to be honest, I've just clocked off from it now, Nick. I'm I'm bored of it. Um, it's just. It's just silly. Okay, can you can you manage? Okay, I mean you're a very experienced rider. You don't get that many whip bands. Can you manage within the new rules reasonably reasonably well? Can you operate effectively? Yeah, but I've yeah uh, yeah I've because because I suppose the style that I've had the whole way through my career. I suppose you know I, I've been I've been lucky enough and I haven't had to adapt. As much as, as as some people have, um, you know. But the thing about it is, Nick, us as jockeys, you know, we get a lot of a lot of stick for for you know if we've given a horse a bad ride or whatever. But you think about now, whatever that's going on in a race from a jockey's point of view, what we have to think about. You know, we got to think about getting a horse jumping off, getting them into a rhythm, getting them jumping trying to find a nice position, trying to follow the horses that you want to follow to bring you into the race. And then you come to the second last, you do all that, you come to the second last, you know, and then you've got to try and put your horse into a win, to be in a winning position to go and win your race. So you're you're looking for the horses to follow, to follow through. You know, you've got the second last, which is always a crucial jump. You've got the last, which is very, very crucial. And then after that, all amongst all of that, then you're thinking... Right, I've got X amount of the smacks that I can that, that I can hit my horse, and then you've got you're thinking about the shoulder height. You know, you're thinking about keeping your horse balanced, keeping them in a rhythm, keeping them straight. You know, you've got the you know you don't want to interfere with other horses. There's a lot going on in a jockey's mind to put the horse in the best possible position to win that race, and this is just oh more and more sort of stuff that we're we've got to try and deal with you know and, and some jockeys are finding it very very difficult because you know if you can imagine you're going at 30 mile an hour in some cases 35 36 mile an hour races mm. they happen sharp you know you've got s split seconds to make decisions but then when you're thinking about all of this is going on as well it's just it's just rubbish now the rules the rules aren't that different to how they were before are they so that in the trade-off for the forehand backhand thing the what ones come off, so seven rather than eight. Um, but it's the penalties, obviously, that are different. And it's my understanding that the jockey said, we don't mind stiffer penalties because it places the responsibility back on us. But I've had a, a million different jockeys on this sofa and everyone's told me a different thing, so yeah, I don't know. Yeah, like you say, I wasn't, I wasn't involved yeah. from the start, Nick, so to be honest with you, I'm not going to get involved in yeah. it now. It is what it is, um, yeah. Um, the Prescott test, uh, Richard Hoyles and I were calling it earlier in the week, Lee. <laughs> yes, fair Which was, of course, it, it yeah. has been, has been the, the line of argument that has been proposed by many people, but particularly by Sir Mark. And in that great interview with Lydia Hislop a few years ago, Goodwood, do you remember? What yeah, we I do. Leave, I and do. he said, if, if it happens once, it'll never happen again. You disqualify somebody for going over. And I don't think he was thinking there would be a cushion of four either. Then it'll never happen again. It happened to Charlotte Jones last week. A distinct possibility it might happen again this week, yeah. more than once. Yeah, there are there are two examples that people have been talking about that could well be um, called up next week. And it's obvious that jockeys will already know now if they could be in trouble next week. I was speaking to Sam Twiston Davis at Kempton yesterday. Uh, he already knows that he's likely to get four days. What for? Uh, for not giving his mount time to respond. That, and that, interestingly, seems to be seems to now be the yeah the most common offence from the this latest raft of absolutely yeah, penalty. which in some ways is quite encouraging if it's a diff if it's not necessarily the sort of thing that we were expecting, and I think it's generally speaking, I think jockeys would agree as well. It's one of those things that you ought to try to avoid. 
it doesn't look good if a jockey isn't giving his or her man um, time to respond. But Sam already knew, uh, and he knows he's likely to get four days, but he knows that because it's four days, it will be something that he can defer until after the Cheltenham Festival. I thought what was interesting, what Daryl was saying there, and this is a theme that we can pull out from this into issues of the past and issues of the future, is Daryl talking about how he hadn't had a chance to, hadn't been consulted in this process. And clearly one of the issues in this process has been a disconnect between the jockeys in the weighing room, the vast majority of jockeys in the weighing room, and that negotiation... And their representatives. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Because, as has been regularly uh, repeated, there was an industry-wide steering group, of which you yourself were part, that helped to formulate these rules. Jockeys were very much involved in that, with the now-retired Tom yes, Scudamore. Yes, I, I keep stressing. <laughs> I don't want to distance myself from the steering group, because I was very no. happy with being on the steering group, but what, what, is, what is now on the, absolutely, on yeah. the rule book... Uh, it's is, very different. It's somewhat different to what was actually proposed. As anyway, a result of future anyway. bargaining and negotiating. Correct. But, but Tom and PJ w- were involved in that process. Now, clearly, I don't think any governing body can uh, negotiate with every single member of a representative group. The BHA or Horse Racing Ireland or France Gallo can't negotiate with every trainer or jockey when formulating rules. So ultimately, you have to negotiate with trade associations. What this has thrown up is that those negotiations didn't seem to work as well as they should have done. For whatever reason, jockeys now don't seem to feel that their voice was heard in those negotiations. Now, that could be down to the trade association or it could be down to a lack of effective communication between the trade association and the members, and that could be the fault of the trade association or of the members. Mm. But what is obvious is that it hasn't worked as well as it should have done in this instance, and that's something we have to bear in mind and change in the future. That said, I, I take your point, Daryl, that what you don't want is a situation where it is dominating people's thoughts the entire time. I guess what we've got to do is wait three, four, five weeks for a the relative lists of these to come out and see if, well, a, see, if see if the curve is moving in the right direction. I mean, like uh, uh, Willie summed up. Like, why? Like, if you're footballers, the Champions League, you get through all the playoffs, um, and then all of a sudden you come to the semi-final or the, or the final of the, of the Champions League, and then you're asking the footballers to play a completely different game of football when you come to the semi-finals, and, and that's like, I just don't understand. Like, right, Grant, if they're going to change, do this and that. Why don't do it like started like in, in in the summer procedure like when you know things can build a little bit mentally you got a little bit of time to but I just think it's just, they're just building headlines you know it's 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 all over the papers it's in the jockeys' minds for Cheltenham and stuff like that like and Paul Nichols came out the other day um, in an interview and he opened, he said he said I am um, you know I I basically I've told Harry Cobham I just I didn't want him hitting any horses this week because just in case. He went above shoulder height, or he, you know, he hit him whatever once or twice too many, or whatever it was. He didn't. And Harry Cobden is a vital part of his team for the Cheltenham Festival. And if Nichols lost him for the Cheltenham Festival, you know, in his mind, it's an absolute disaster. He knows all the horses, so much, you know, so many Grade Ones. So, you know, he's come out and said it. He didn't want his jockey hitting horses. But then you got the punters, then or the whatever follows, like, but you know laying into Harry because he mightn't have given a horse you know, the maximum effort that he should have given it, but his governor is telling them to you know, just be careful, be very, very careful and, and, and that's the problem. In the way room, unfortunately, that is that's, we are trying to be very, very, very careful, but then it probably doesn't come across as that we're giving it maximum effort, but only we're just thinking because you know, on Tuesday we could be in trouble. Well, just one one addendum to that is that it seems as though the uh, the bans are going to start from a, a, a staggered dates now, so that even when the WIT review panel meets on a Tuesday, they're not all just going to be given on the same day. This idea that everybody would be missing one festival or another and there'd be no jockeys left. I might there. get a few more rides. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you want more rides? <laughs> well, pay a bit more of the mortgage, wouldn't it? <laughs>
I've never known a season like it for the sort of the the, the drag to Chel- to Cheltenham and the sort of anticipation. You really want it to be now, Daryl Jacob, Lee Moss. I don't. You want it next week, don't you? Yeah, it's obviously our Olympics, isn't it? It's something that we gear ourselves up to um, every year. You know, the, the the best horses in England, Ireland, and France now coming over. Um, you know, really is our Olympics, and like you say, the closer it gets. You just want it to come and happen, really. But it seems now, particularly with the Dublin race for, Racing Festival, and you were saying there's a, the the dominance of uh, of these fantastic Irish horses is that there is that the, the the gap, the hiatus seems to be so long now between then uh, uh, and Cheltenham. All you feel like all the dealing's done. Yeah, pretty much. Like a lot of the horses now, they would have had their preps and and and, and stuff like that. Um, so now, really, they've, they're, it's just getting the, the putting the final touches on them now, really, isn't it? Um, you know, obviously, I think we're going to Kempton. Um, you know, we're galloping some of Nicky's horses on Tuesday morning. You know, they kind of, you know, they have their Christmas and then they haven't had a race since, so they're getting primed. So a lot of, the, I suppose, they will be stepping up their work now for um, and putting the final touches on them for the festival. Right. Should we talk about El Fabiolo, who was very, very good at the Dublin Racing Festival when you rode this horse? Going into the race, were you surprised that Paul Townend had chosen to ride Appreciate It and that you, you ended up getting on him? No, to be honest with you, Paul could have chosen... I mean, there was Could have chosen Dysart Dynamo Dice as well, Dice Dynamo. I mean, you know, the, 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 the quality, the strength and depth that Willie has in that division. I mean, you know, he, he could have chosen any of them. And look, at not, like and I said going in before the race, it was, it was pretty much, I thought, it was the horse that was going to... Was, was going to jump the slickest and, and travel the best. It was probably going to come out on top. And, uh, you know, I just found, got my lad into a lovely rhythm. Um, you know, Dysart went out in front. But, you know, I always felt where I was sat, I, I always felt like as if I controlled the race from where I sat. You know, let Dysart Dynamo do his thing. But I always felt where I, where I was in the race, I was very, very happy. And, you know, barred a mistake that I made and not the horse at um, three or four out, whatever it was, I, he, he was, I thought he was very, very good. I mean, this looks incredibly strong form. The horse who's labouring in fourth and runs on for third, Bambridge, is no slouch, even if he does want a little bit further. And you drew right away in the closing stages. Uh, you're perfectly placed to judge whether it's this horse or John Bond in the Arkle. Let's face it, you've ridden one enough, you've seen the other one enough. Yeah, look, I mean, you got to think about El Fabiolo. He's, he's a relatively un, unexposed, you know, he's only had, that was only his, I think it was the seventh run of his life. John Bond's had a lot more runs, he's a lot more streetwise. And when they met at Aintree, it was El, El Fabiolo's, it was only his second run over, over hurdles, whereas John Bond had the, the whole season, the prep. So, you know, I think there's a lot of scope for, for, for our horse to, to improve, um, and I think he has done. He's done immensely from last year to this year, and I think, and me personally, I think he's going to get better. The more racing he gets, the more experience he gets, because, like you say, he is a relatively unexposed. He's a big, strong, powerful horse, and you know, he once all of these come together, I think he's going to be a, a really, really exciting horse for for William Double Green. Is there any shot you can get on him at Cheltenham? No, no. Um, <laughs> Look, it's it's just great to be part of him. You know, we don't know what the riding arrangements or or anything are at the moment. But look at, like I said to you, I'm just very very happy, and I'm just I'm enjoying the ride. Yeah, and and the because he's got so many of these horses that the, the opportunities just keep coming every so often. Don't yeah, they? That's and look the thing. at and that's like you say that was the opportunity came on Blue Lord earlier on in the year. The opportunity came on him. The opportunity came on for James de Burley. So look at he just. Um, it's it's a big big team that we have, um, and we need everyone um, pulling at the right strings mm. to make it work well. And and there's no better man than that than than Anthony Bromley, and he's just he's 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 just brilliant. Anthony Bromley is. Well, this is Blue Lord at Leopardstown over Christmas time. He then came back in the Dublin Chase and ran okay, but gentlemen to me rather. Um, took everybody off their feet. Do you think he was achieving as much as everyone thought at Christmas, or do you think he performed below par in Dublin? Well, th- this race is obviously interesting because Gentleman is just out the back of the picture there, and he obviously didn't go this day mm. for whatever reason. He didn't go and he didn't jump very, very, um, didn't jump well. But the other day, um, 
when um, when Blue Lord ran against him, he went out and he was on a go and day and he went forward. And I mean, gentlemen, I think he beat Edward Stone at he Aintree, did. didn't he? He did, yeah, doing so, the same you know, there, thing. He's a very, very good horse when he's right and when he's on his day. And he just went out. He found a beautiful rhythm out in front and he went a real good gallop. Um, I was struggling with Scorial to sort of to, to sort of go to gallop, but I knew halfway down the back straight, Blue Lord wasn't travelling the same way as when I rode him in the previous time. When I rode him the previous time, you know, he was always in his comfort zone. Again, I felt like in the position that I was, I was controlling the race from where I was, so I was very, very comfortable and I jumped great. Whereas the other day when Paul rode him, um, I just think I just think the horse was just a little bit flat. Um, but again, you've, you've got the master and Willie, and you know you can you can guarantee your bottom dollar is he'll come to Cheltenham, and um, you know he'll be 100 percent, and um, he'll be he'll be a one to to go to war. Mm. Which race should he run in? Um, look, at, he, he's always we've always felt like he's you know he's a good you know he'd stay two and a half um, really well. You know when I rode him um, when I won on him um, over there. I mean, he travelled ever so beautifully. You know, he's jumping, he travelled. I mean, that was a side that we we sort of hadn't seen because even when he was a, in his previous year as a novice, he was never quite on the bridle the way he was with me that day. And that's what really kind of lit us all up because yeah. the way he travelled and the way he jumped that day um, with me. But then, obviously, Willie started him out over two and a half mile at Clonmel, you know, and he beat a really good horse that won the the King George, um, Willie's other stable companion. So uh, tornado flyer. So you know that was the start of his season. That was his first run. So we thought we'd go down that route. But then what he showed with me, the last and when I won on him, um, oh. you know he's got pace and I think he's just. I think he's a very very good horse. And I think whatever angle we go down, I think he's going to be very very competitive. But you know, as you know, you know things change. I mean, Willie's main horse got um, got injured in he coming back for right now. So it, you know that leaves that door open a little bit. But then you've got but the mighty Shishkin. Exactly. He was good. He was good. And I thought Nick was beautiful on him as well. I thought that was very, very satisfactory to I know how much Nicky the pressure that he was put under, but I was absolutely I was chuffed a bit for, for, for Nicky and, and and Nico that day. I mean that was that was a special day. What did he say when he came in the weighing room the other day? Um, well, to be fair, I wasn't at that meeting, so <laughs> right, I wasn't okay. at that meeting. He was very good on here last weekend, to um, be fair. Yeah. Um but I I spoke to him that evening and he was you know, he was, that was a job well done. He, not impossible. You could, you could land on Blue Lord somewhere. Again, to, it's to all, look, it's, it's all up. Yeah, it's all, yeah, it's all up in up in the air. Look at, like you say, whatever, whatever I'm asked to ride. Um, you know, I'd be very grateful, mm. very, very appreciated, and uh, you know, I'll, I'll try my very, very best on him. No doubt, um, Zambella. Uh, she'll she'll have another stab, won't she? She how close yeah. would she have got if she hadn't fallen when she went yeah, to Cheltenham before? Yeah, she was before? going well then, um, and just typical her. It's just she's she's taken a lot of time to get her jumping um, together. She's she's never been the most straightforward. She could land in one, she could gallop through one when she was a novice. But again, Nigel and his team have done a lot of work. She's got she's got better every year, and you know what? This year, it's the best that she's ever felt really she feels really really good for whatever reason Nick I've no idea but you know when I won her at Doncaster that day she was she was brilliant um, she was very very good and I think she'll go there she'll be a lot more competitive she wasn't beaten far in it last year mind she finished four wasn't beaten that far in it last year and I think she can uh, she can hopefully have a good chance again this year and, and being there or thereabouts yeah she's she's honest isn't she yeah oh, she she's as game as a pebble she tries very very hard and that's her forte she's She's got a big heart and she's got the head down, the ears back, and she wants to please. Just looking at some of the other horses that Simon and Isaac have done well with this season, I mean, the list is exhausting. <laughs> yeah, Fun, 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 Fan de Blues, Ampere Pass, Hunter's Yarn, Dark Raven, Tax for Max, Nuzret we spoke about yesterday, James Duberle, Zarak the Brave, they've all won Gold Cup. But, I mean, any and, any and all of these could end up going to going to the festival yeah potentially but like you say there is you know it's you know there is still a lot of um, spring festivals you know yeah. for the rest of the year now as well so you know it, you know, so I would imagine some of the horses you know and that's why Ant is, is so good and he's he's a vital cog um, to what we have because he's very very good at placing horses like say he him and Joseph placed Nuzret to come over here and, 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 and win the donuts yesterday and um, you know there's obviously going to be a lot of discussions between between now and, and, and March and 
you know, the one thing about double green is, you know, we want them to go there. They want we want them to have the best chance of winning. But you know, we also we love these horses and we want to have longevity. And if the race doesn't quite fit, you know, Ant and Simon Isaac and whatever the trainers in you know, we'll have the discussion and, and, you know, we might avoid Chelem, we might go a different route because some of them might want them to come down the hill very well or whatever it might be. Mm. You know, all these discussions have got to be, you know, there's going to be a lot of discussions, a lot of topics, a lot of horses to go through in the next um, three or four weeks.